gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire. And today I have a very special guest on my pod. I have Mabel Holland. How are you doing today, Mabel? Doing okay. How about uh, yourself? I'm doing all right. Why don't you give us the lowdown of who you are, and then we're going to get on to your game, which I'm so excited about. Uh, I'm a game designer. My wife, Mary, and I run the company Hollandspiel. We We make games. <laughs> Yes, you do. And you're here to talk about a very specific game. So, y'all, I really only care about solo games except this one uh, because (laughs) (laughs) Mabel is making a game about the Council of Nicaea. So, Mabel, do you want to give us like the the quick rundown of what this game is going to be like? Sure. So, Nicaea is a game for four to six players, um, which... I'm essentially describing as kind of like a stock game, but about theology. So you are all playing early church fathers and you are, you all have different uh, opinions on on different doctrinal disputes and you're trying to sort it out because at at this point in, in church history, um, you know, Christianity isn't being persecuted. Um, Constantine's all like, yay, this is good. I'm going to use this to unify my empire. And so we had everyone on the same page with one kind of religion. And then they start having these really nerdy arguments that no one else really cares about. And it says, says, you know what? You guys got to figure this out. I, I don't care what it is. Just figure it out. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out what is 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 real and what is uh heterodox and we're doing that by investing ourselves in in these doctrinal positions and essentially whichever side of a dispute um has more people behind it turns out that was the right one and everyone gets on board um, so you are trying to have the, the most shares as it were in the most correct, uh, doctrinal positions, uh, unless at the end of the game, you have the least in all that, but you have the most influence causing a schism. Ah, so that's, that's <laughs> essentially the crux of the game. It's not a, a detailed simulation um it it it's more just looking at this as um because there's there's a tendency to look at especially when you're looking at church history to look at it as you know here are these these infallible people who who you know were were pure and good and the thing is people generally throughout history are people like like human nature doesn't change all that much and so the the game's also trying to get at the fact that these are people these are are mortal men making these decisions um to also try to maintain their own position and influence within the church because if obviously if you feel, you know what, Arianism is good and, and this is the right thing and everyone else 
says, no, it's not, then you're no longer going to be part of the church. So you need to toe that line. So it's really looking at those dynamics and just saying, hey, these are people and these decisions are made by human beings with with some right. jokes. Yes, with jokes. We are going to get to that. So the other thing that I think is kind of fun is I actually really, as a church historian, really like the way that you divided up the issues at hand. Uh, do you want to run down that list or do you want me to do it? Uh, I can run down that list. So let's see. It's it's actually been a while since I was working on it. So That's why I offered uh, <laughs> I understand. Um, so the first three issues are basically the, the, the big points of Arianism. Uh, you know, as far as um, it was the son of the same substance of the father, uh, was the son co-eternal with the father, was the son subordinate to the father. And... To a lot of people, those those three issues, like to normal people, if you ask normal people these questions, um, a lot of them tend to come come down to like the Aryan belief <laughs> because it makes more sense. <laughs> but then it, th- those beliefs also, this is why they were so popular and continue to be popular even after the Council of Nicaea. I mean, you look at um, Arianism still being in the Eastern Church for a bit after that, and um, like when the Germanic peoples converted, a lot of them converted to an Arian version of the faith, um, because it, it makes more sense that you know the son would be born after the father and not exist always and forever at the same time. Yeah, I was gonna say. Oh, so just to give everybody some context, people spend a lot of time wringing their hands about this. So when you we think of Christianity, you think, oh, there's a trinity. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. We believe in one Son, the Son of God, blah, blah, blah. Um, not to be dismissive, but no one needs to hear the whole thing. But people spent a lot of time deciding this sort of creedal stuff before it actually happened. And so people were like, okay, how can Jesus be divine? Are we being polytheistic here? No, 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 no. We can't do that. So how do we have the Son and the Father together and so people are arguing okay so is it like jesus is like a kinder egg with like a human chocolate exterior and like a god toy inside or is it like a latte where like the substances are mixed and so like you mix human and divine to make like a mixture you know how do you how do you do this and so people took this very seriously and people died over this there were there were Mm -hmm. riots over this people's careers were ruined over their beliefs about this and so yeah i mean these issues are just so they, to us they seem kind of distant but for yeah. these people this was like the news of the day yeah and, and i'm also and for you know people you know who are lay people in in the church you know the, the common roman citizen they they usually don't really really care which it is as much as like the educated people did who, um, you know, would think about the implications of this or that. Um, and so, and, and really, I think that that was the big dispute that really created the need for the Council of Nicaea. Uh, the other two disputes, big major issues that are 
represented in the game is uh, when is Easter, <laughs> which which is a, a, a long-standing question for for a while for the church, um, and then I think the fifth one was uh, whether or not to forgive the Miletians, yes, um, which were a schism, a a, a sect. A, yeah, and what's interesting is our, even our information about them is somewhat questionable. But essentially, part of what a lot of this actually does boil down to, and you're right, is politics. So, you know, one of the reasons the Goths end up being more Aryan inclined is because Constantine's own son, Constantius, was also like a semi-Aryan who had contact with the king of the Goths. And so you end up with all these like chain reactions. Um, and even the, the militian heresy schism um, is, is very much based in fighting over what part of the world has the most powerful bishops? Who do we listen to? Um, who has control over the Church of Alexandria? Because, you know, Militius got in trouble in part because he was supposed to stand in for bishops who were in jail during a persecution and, you know, promoted some people that maybe he wasn't supposed to. <laughs> and, um, you know, power really is at the heart of all of this. So how did you decide that this was a topic that you wanted to make a whole game about? Um, well, I've I've always been interested in in church history um, from a very early age. I was a I was a very religious child. <laughs> like my favorite thing was going to church. I loved going to church so much that my great grandparents would pick me up every Sunday morning and every Wednesday evening to go to church with them. No one else in my family was doing that. That was like this is my thing. I wanted to do. My brother. He was in sports. He was in wrestling and baseball. I was in Bible quizzing, which, <laughs> um, like that that was like that was my safe place was 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 the church really. Um, I think because I was a fairly isolated child, uh, I didn't really fit in with most most people and with my family. And so I, you know, kind of escaped and, uh, you know, some of that was reading fantasy books and comics and some of it was the church. Like, you know, when I was real little, I would, I'd pretend, uh, to be in King Arthur times or I'd pretend to, uh, be an X, X man, or I'd pretend to be one of the disciples. I mean, that was the kind of kid I was. Um, I kind of drifted away from that. <laughs> Uh, as I got older, um, I mean, really, I spent a lot of time, like, obsessively, manically religious. Um, and I think part of the appeal was, well, here is this book with all these rules. I can, I can follow all these rules. I remember uh, spending a week where I had memorized every, everything that I thought was a sin. And I told the pastor at the end of the week, I went through this whole week without, without any sins. And they're like, mm-mm, sin of pride. Like, no! Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, that, that, that was me as a kid. And I was, I was also pretty insufferable going around trying to convert people. Like, one of those kids. Um... And again, so by the time I hit puberty, I kind of 
fell away from the church a lot. And it wasn't really a kind of like, oh, I've hit puberty. This the this, this sin stuff sounds pretty good now. It wasn't wasn't that. It was more just um feeling really isolated and not really understanding what was wrong with me. Took took me a while to figure that out. <laughs> um but that kind of gave me this the sense that like you know uh God made me wrong or something. And eventually when I was 18, my dad died. Uh, he was 38. And I had this, this whole period where like, well, I'm definitely an atheist now. And you know what? I'm going to do all the sins. See how you like it. Um, but I was afraid of getting in trouble. So I kind of didn't do it that much, but, um, and then in my adult life, I've kind of gone back and forth. Uh, with my faith and a lot mm-hmm. of it also has been about reading more about church history. Cause a lot of, you know, reading into church history as a kid, well, is written by church historians uh, who uh, politically are telling a certain story they want to tell, you know, the um, Eusebius writing about the council of Nicaea is, isn't going to be dishy you know, uh, or, or, or make it seem like there was all this stuff going on that there, that there probably was going on, you know, it's, it's kind of sanitized. Um, and then just realizing, you know, that a lot of the, the texts that we have, you know, they're written by people, rewritten by people, edited, translated, changed to further the cultural norms of that time. And, uh, and it's kind of that kind of acknowledgement and that knowledge kind of got me thinking a lot more about church history again, um, especially uh, lately. And I was casting around for a project and I thought, well, this could be a neat project. And uh, that's kind of where it came from. That was kind of a rambly answer, but uh, that, that that's the answer I had. That's good. I like this. and yeah actually i was thinking about this like you've got me thinking about stuff that i haven't gotten to enjoy in a while you know even the history really does get revised so the reason that eusebius doesn't want to be too dishy is that both eusebius of caesarea who ends up being super tight with constantine and eusebius of nicomedia who ends up baptizing constantine who waits to get baptized until the end of his life because he plans to do lots of really naughty things uh and does so um they were both arian and kind of walk their way back enough to remain politically relevant. And what's really interesting is that some later accounts change the identity of who baptized Constantine in order to make it somebody who is more obviously anti-Aryan. So I don't think we actually explained this before, but so the the Nicene, the, the Council of Nicaea basically figures out how to make a the the substance of the father and the son the same and it's saying basically that the father and the son are both equally god arius saw jesus as a slightly lesser being at least in some descriptions so someone who came after someone who's a little different somebody who's created as opposed to somebody who you know in the beginning was the word and etc so what kind of research uh did you end up doing to uh to contribute to this game because this is very well researched you picked up a lot 
Like, this is just a really good boiling down, actually. If I was teaching a class, I would include a lot of this, most of this. Um, so a, a lot of it really, uh, despite those sources being written by people with agendas, was looking at primary sources. I had to get some books on interlibrary loan. Because <laughs> turns out my library doesn't, doesn't carry this, this ancient church history stuff. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. And then a lot of it was just because I had some slight background in it previously. It was more just like, okay, refreshing for details. And, oh, here are some names that are important. Because one thing about the game, um, you know, while it's about these disputes, it's not about the substance of the disputes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, like... In the game, you you could have an Aryan position on one issue and an anti-Aryan position on another. And in the game, that's fine. They're, they're treated as fungible because the kind of premise is whatever way this is decided is what they're going to say is the way it is. From, from Constantine's point of view, it doesn't matter which, which one it is. You know, he's not someone like... Um, well, you know, like to a degree, like Charlemagne would get kind of more involved in, you know, what what's real here. And Constantine was like, yeah, I, I don't I don't care. Just just figure something out. Um, so they're treated as fungible. And to a degree that the church fathers are treated as fungible, um, you know, because in the game, you're going to score extra points for uh, church fathers you have influence with. You have, you have their cards, basically, who you're on the right side of the issues that matter to them, which are kind of arbitrary because all the issues really mattered to all of them. So I'm just kind of parceling them out almost mathematically. And, you know, you have guys who are strong anti-Aryans, but, you know, if at the Council of Nicaea, the Aryan position had been cemented, then we would remember them now as being very strong Aryans, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's treated as fungible. So I didn't need to do the same level or detail of research that someone might do if their game cared more about the substance of the arguments. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And the other thing is, frankly, I don't think that most people care as much as somebody like I would about the substance of those arguments. You know, you have to draw the line between educational and, and fun. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure like the fun line is pretty far from where I would take it myself. So, <laughs> so how did you decide uh, what figures to put in and which ones to keep out? Um, well, I tried. So I started with a list of like all the important dudes because they're all dudes. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, and then I looked, okay, which ones can I find public domain images of? Okay, you got a card. I can't find this one. Well, you don't have a card. You know, so I mean, really, it, it, <laughs> so, was, it, was, it was as simple as, as that. It was really as, because the thing is, because we design games to publish ourselves, um, you know, that kind of stuff can be a consideration. Like, I think you asked me about, uh, before the interview, about, you know, the other Eusebius. So I only have one of the Eusebii in the game. And, and obviously a game is better if it has two Eusebiuses. But um, 
I couldn't find I couldn't find a picture of him. So I was like, you know what? I'll go with this guy. No, we gotta find a picture of him. So you see me some that comedian is my man. Like I would be really sad not to have him in the game, but you know, it is what it is. But um yeah, that's actually really interesting, especially because I actually wonder if that had an impact. So it seems to me like I made a list and went through. Um a lot of these people that did make it into the game are team not Arius. And yeah. I think that might be actually a public domain image thing in addition to the fact that, you know, historically everybody wants to be on the winning side because the people who are saints and who you have pictures of tend to be the people who were correct. So how do you think that that impacts like the representation in the game? I mean, I mean, it it absolutely does. I would like to have it more, more balanced, I guess, you know, have, have more of the more famous Aryans, but you know, they did not get icons made of them. <laughs> you know, like a, a lot of the images I used, I mean, they're, they're, they're icons and, you know, they're, God, they're gorgeous. I, <laughs> I, 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 I love that whole style. And, but no one did that for the bad guys because they're not cool enough. Like, I think, I think, uh, Arius himself, I had, I ended up using a woodcut because, all we really had and that's woke up from yeah i think much later you know obviously and uh you know and uh if we were a bigger company with more mm-hmm. money for art i mean we probably would try to find some way to commission icons of these people because i'm done in that style but uh we don't have yeah. that money and I think because the 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 personalities, much like the issues, are treated as somewhat fungible, it wasn't as mm-hmm. crucial as something like um, like my game, The Vote, which which is about uh, uh, suffrage movement. Um, you know, I have kind of equal cards for uh, people who are on the right side, people who are on the wrong side. And because it's about that contest where, you know, I'm playing one side, you're playing the other side, I did feel like I needed more of that, that sense of a balance or, or parity between the sides. Um, whereas here, where every church father could, I mean, could turn out to be Aryan at the end, if that's how everyone as a group decides <laughs> the thing goes. I, I wasn't as concerned about it. No, it makes sense. It's just it's, it's just one of the, the historical interest aspects of it. The other thing I thought, the, the other thing you included I thought was super interesting was um, you. it's not all church fathers that have influence from that deck. You also had some sort of minor issues mm-hmm that came in, what made you decide to add those and how did you choose them? Uh, so the, the minor issues, so those are like the bits of canon law that were settled. And it was like, this is also what happened there. And I wanted something that was another way for someone to score points and whatnot. Um, and I want to say there were 20 canons in Nicaea. Um, and so I think I picked the ones that seemed like the best ones, uh, basically the ones that were the most interesting or 
gave me the best punchlines. A couple of them don't have punchlines, you know, I, 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 but they're still interesting. I'll get them in. Most of them have some, some kind of humor in them. Um, and one of them, you know, one of them started funny. And then my cool friend, Dr. Liz Davidson made it funnier. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, thank you for that. Yes. So one of the, one of the card texts is going to change based on my castration joke. So there you go. Um, so yeah, some of the issues they're covering here, just for, for those of you who are listening, we have cards that are about being against self castration, um, against usury, because that worked. Um, things about ancient privileges of bishops against kneeling, which we're going to come back to. Um, <laughs> and then also talking about, um, the lapsy and so basically because this is happening in a period that's after a time of fairly intense persecution, maybe not so much in the Western empire, but in the Eastern empire, um, you have people who basically become apostates and say, I'm not Christian. I'm not Christian. Don't kill me. But then when things slow back down and it's safer to be Christian again, they want to come back. And there are people who are like, no, we held out. We were strong and you are weak of faith. You don't deserve this. And, you know, other people who are like, let's do the Christian thing and be merciful. And so there's like an entire conflict about that as well that makes an appearance. But we should talk about the tone of this particular <laughs> of this particular game. Um, do you so what? Uh, this, this game has a fairly irreverent tone. Yeah. What uh, what made you choose to to do it this way? Um, I think because the so I think because the premise of the game itself is um, you know, this is not as holy as people would like to portray it as being because people again are essentially people. They are scrapping around for political influence. Uh, and it's so inherently not divine, but profane. Um, and I thought that having uh, a more humorous tone would assist with that. Now, I've done kind of irreverent tone in... Uh, some of my games before, uh, excuse me, usually in the rule books and usually just kind of in passing uh, in the historical material. Now, there are some games that's not appropriate for, like when I did this Guilty Land, it's like, okay, this is not, there are no jokes in this one. <laughs> not, right. You know, um, whereas, you know, I'll I'll work little jokes into uh, some of the rules of my games. And so I felt like that fit here. Um, because the game it, itself in a way is kind of blowing a raspberry. It makes sense for the, the text of the game to also be blowing that raspberry. I personally love it and do not disagree. So just so those of you at home know what I'm talking about, here's the current introduction. So uh, Mabel, I know you could change it, but uh, for now, the current draft rules say it's the year 325 and it's a pretty chill time to be a Christian. 
Not only has it been a hot minute since they were forced to renounce their faith on pain of death, but the Emperor Constantine has really leaned into it, hoping it will unite the often fractured Roman Empire. So the big guy isn't super thrilled when bishops immediately get into nitpicky esoteric arguments that John Quintus Romanus doesn't give two flips about. These controversies, particularly around the teachings of Arius, threaten to splinter the new faith and disrupt the fragile peace Constantine has established after 20 years of war. He demands that the bishops gather together in the city of Nicaea to come to an accord. He doesn't really care what these nerds decide, so long as there's consensus. <laughs> what I like about it, I mean, it's not wrong. Where's the lie, historically? But um, what made you choose to be very colloquial about it? I know that a lot of people who do historical games feel that there should be some gravitas. But I don't think that has to be the case, personally. What, Where are you coming to this from? Uh, so... I, I mean, I understand the gravitas argument. I understand the argument for the rules reinforcing the theme of the game. Um, there was a game that we released last year called The Field of the Cloth of Gold. as two-player game. And the rules are written in kind of, of, a, of a pastiche of... 1500s English. I mean, it's not, we didn't go too far with it where we're actually writing in, in the English and spellings of us that time. Uh, Cause right. that'd be obnoxious, but um, you know, we, we wrote in a particular flavor in a particular way to uh, reinforce the theme. And so I understand the idea of reinforcing that theme with gravitas, but this because the approach is irreverent, the colloquial mm -hmm. nature of it, I think, is reinforcing the theme. It just may not be the way other people want that theme to be approached. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I definitely have heard that from folks. Um, you know, I... Uh, so I have received, over the course of being a game designer, three death threats... Third one's Nicaea. Usually they wait until the game's about to come out, but this one came way earlier. Not super thrilled about the tone. But um, you know what? I uh, I guess I'm just really excited about it. I mean, I am too. It's, you know, excited, I'm excited for this game. Yeah, so I I don't feel gravitas necessarily is, nece is necessary. Mm -hmm. um, I think it depends what you're trying to do tonally with the game, what your approach is and what you're trying to convey. Um, I think also uh, one thing I, I try to remember is that every every time you engage with history, uh, the thing you're producing is the story of, of two times and cultures. It's the time and culture in which the events took place and the time and culture in which the thing is being made. So for me, that kind of anachronism, colloquialism uh, gives it some energy and some verve and conveys, it helps frame the game and how people want people to approach the game. So for me, that, that makes perfect sense, you know? So I actually really like what you just said about framing an approach to the game. Um, what kind of experience are you hoping players will have when they play this? What kind of table talk are you, are you hoping will emerge in groups that play this game? Uh, 
Well, you know, um, so I've been doing testing of it mostly through tabletop uh, simulator because uh, there's there's been this pandemic. I don't know if you've, you've heard about this. Right. We need a miracle at all time. Come on. <laughs> um, and it's been really interesting seeing the reactions because there are people who will engage with the game purely as a social dynamic stock incentive game, which is essentially the the, the framework of, of the game. It's, you know, it, it's my stock game for this year. You know, uh, Mary told me I'd do a train game every year. I'm not doing one this year. Uh, I, and I would argue I'm getting away with that because she's shaking her head. But I would argue I'm getting away with that because I have a stock game coming out. So the people who approach it just as that, and there are people who will approach it uh, more thematically, whether they're they're trying to convince the other players and and uh, they're reading the card text and and whatnot. Um, so. I, I think I want people to take away from it this this idea of these people taking this very seriously, um, but the ideas themselves maybe don't relate to everyday life. Um, and, and where it, just as long as there is a consensus, is a decision, is a universal, unifying uh, doctrine, that itself was more important, especially for the growth of the church, than, you know, what that doctrine actually ended up being. You know, just like, um, now, there's a, there's a um, misconception about Nicaea that a lot of people have where that was where they decided what books went in the Bible which that, that was not the case. That was a, that was a later council. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, having a Bible that has these specific books and doesn't have these other books where this is canon and this is not, that was important for unifying things. You know, um, I think before we started recording, we were talking briefly about the uh, Infancy Gospel Thomas, which... Love that book. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I can see why it's not in the Bible, but, you know, I... Uh... But Jesus' child murderer is inherently a compelling narrative. <laughs> so, the context, just for so, so for everybody, just for funsies, I'll add, because I'm a nerd, I can't help it. Um, only about 10% of people in the ancient world could read at all, and that includes people who could write their name, kind of, um, from what we can tell. Also, books are really expensive, so even if you had an idea of a canon, which was still very much in flux at this time, your church might only have a letter of Paul and a gospel, like whatever you could afford and copy from somebody. One thing I really like to do with my students actually is give them excerpts from different books in the New Testament and say, this is all your church has. What are your conclusions about these issues? Mm -hmm. And then I let them answer the questions and then I make them fight <laughs> because it entertains me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right that this is this is very much about standardization and about you know coming to some sort of consensus whatever it is but then you have to eliminate the stuff that doesn't fit. So yeah. as for wanting people to read the cards, I'm going to read a card. Okay. This is this is card XX, but perhaps I wish that you had 30 cards. I'm just going to put it that way. Um so this this one is against a kneeling 
The early church stood while praying and felt that kneeling should only be reserved for penitential prayer. That is, you should only get on your knees when you've been very bad. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, this tone, I personally think this is absolutely hilarious and I'm here for it. But I guess this also leads to larger questions, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not just do historical games need to have gravitas, but to what extent are we as people who make things, you as a game designer, as a writer, um, how free do you feel to kind of poke at things that people hold sacred or could get upset about? And what do you, you know, how, how are you, how do you feel that you're asserting yourself as the author here and you get to say what you want to say. Um, so I think as far as my comfort level with poking at, at uh, things, I, I think it's a question of power differentials, you know, and, and, and also um, perspective, I guess, because so coming from someone who, who comes from a, a Christian background, I feel more okay with poking at Christianity as a religion. I would not feel comfortable at all poking at another religion. And with Christianity being uh, in some ways a a dominating force uh, in world history, you know, a, a very powerful institution, I feel okay punching up against that a bit. I would not feel okay punching down. So I think uh, it, I think that's like a a crucial element of it because there are, I'm not the kind of person who's just going to be irreverent for the sake of being irreverent or, uh, you know, I'm going to make fun of everybody. Uh, I I hate that. No, I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm, it's really about that again, that power differential and my relation to the thing. Um, you know, hi- history, I mean, a lot of history, um, because of who it's written by and about, is uh, heteronormative, it is cisnormative, it is patriarchal, it is white supremacists, especially for European history. Um, And there's a lot of people left by the wayside there. And I I feel like any of those, those things, those are valid targets, (laughs) you know, Uh, for, for, for what is basically uh, some, some fairly gentle humor. You know, I don't think anything, in the game is particularly vicious. Um, it's mostly like middle school giggling. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Actually, I think the reason I asked you that question is because as I was reading through this, I was laughing so hard and I was really enjoying it. And I thought, wait a minute, if this was about something else, I would not think that this was as funny. And I think that I come to the same place where you do on that, which is that I feel a lot more ownership over this material. I mean, I'm an atheist now, but I was raised Christian. I got my PhD in ancient Christianity. You know, you, 
I would say that regardless of where I'm at in terms of my actual beliefs in anything, I am culturally Christian and there's just no way to not be. Not growing up the way I did, not growing up here in the United States. And so, you know, for because, you know, that is the dominant narrative in our world uh, where, where we are. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's okay to be goofy punching up. Yeah, exactly. And the, um, yeah, because of that perspective, because, because, because that, that dominance, because it, you know, I mean, the, the church, the church exists as a, uh, religious institution, but also as a worldly institution. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, I, I think I think one of my favorite cards is the usury card. Oh yeah. Um, where I forget my my precise wording there, but um, it essentially ends with you know, and and the church never abused its power ever again. Um, which which that's that's sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> In case people listening <laughs> are, are clear of that. You know, and... Uh... Yeah, and I think part of what makes this game so valuable to me is that... So, the church has always had an interesting... I mean, all religious organizations have a, a challenge when it comes to spiritual life versus physical reality and desire for success on Earth in your life. But this is... I would say this is really the first time where Christianity and secular power meet in mm-hmm. such a big way. And I think that's what makes the Council of Nicaea so interesting. Um, interestingly, uh, Hossius of Cordoba, who is one of the people that does make it into this game, uh, was anti-Aryan and very, he's one of Constantine's emissaries. He delivered letters for Constantine across the ancient world. Later wrote a treatise about how it's inappropriate for the empire to interfere in the affairs of the church when Constantine's son, who disagreed with him, took over. So, I mean, this game really is... You know, there's spiritual issues at stake, but I like the way that you brought the worldliness in. Personally. Yeah, I, I, I want I wanted to center the temporal sphere, you know, um, because I think I mean to a degree, uh, you know, being raised Christian and and being you know spending way too much time like hanging out at church. <laughs> Uh, a, a, a lot of it was like being taught to revere these councils, um, these people as as something you know more than human. And yeah. I really wanted to try to emphasize the essential humanness uh, of them as as people. Um, you know, and I think I think one thing you run into with uh, certain institutions, uh, certain approaches to history, is uh, people not wanting to um, embrace that. Um, there's a story about a battle George Washington was in, and I forget the battle, and I forget the exact details, but someone didn't do what they were supposed to do. And uh, Washington came out at them um, 
and whoever was describing it said that he swore like an angel, um, just just cussing this guy out. And then there there were people afterwards saying, "Well, that's not what he meant. He wasn't really cussing because angels don't swear. Like they didn't want George Washington to be someone who who, who would say a dirty word, um, you know, to, to be a a living, breathing human being." And I I think that's the same. Uh, these people, uh, Eusebius, Saint Nicholas, living, breathing human being, who may or may not have thrown a punch, yeah. Uh, and it's the the way people are. I mean, there's a reason why we call biographies of saints hagiographies, uh, where where you know, it's everything's perfect about them and why and why that become a byword for this kind of uncritical look at a person's life so yeah that's that's kind of the stuff i really wanted to emphasize with this and uh while trying to have a fun time and have a game that plays in 45 to 60 minutes and um i don't think anyone's done a game on this topic in this way. I know there's at least one other game about early church councils called Credo. Haven't played it. Okay. Yeah. As far as I know, it's not a stock holding game. It doesn't, doesn't have my jokes. So. <laughs> <laughs> so during your research, do you have a favorite? I don't want to say character because they were real people, but do you have a favorite person who made it into this game? Do you have a soft spot for, for one of these church fathers? Mm, you know, I'm this. This is very basic of me, but I I do like Saint Nicholas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as a historical figure, as as someone who's a little punchy, and then there's just the the way you know the person's been transformed in, in into something you know extremely secular but also fantastical is just kind of fascinating to me you know it's it's uh so i i mean there's that you know yes absolutely so we have a i'm sure there are people who argue about this but a lot of times you know we have a saint nicholas who uh you know, of course, then you have St. Nick of Christmas, but the St. Nicholas in this game was a hardcore anti-Aryan who, so the stories change over the years, which is really hilarious. So at one point he might have just open hand slapped an Aryan, but the story evolves to where St. Nicholas punches Arius in the face and like gets in trouble with Constantine for it. But like how much trouble could it really be? So yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also a big fan well, I like all just the weird miracle stories. Like, which one is the one who uh, was like, oh, if your doctrine is true, make oil come from this rock. And they like performs a miracle. And the Aryans were amazed. Who was that? I'm like looking over the list of who did this. Oh, yeah. Achilles of Larissa. <laughs> like did a miracle at the Aryans at the alleged moment. You know, I love all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much good like storytelling around it. And like, this isn't even the end of the story for Arius, although that ending is special. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and again, we, we have these stories and this is what we have to, 
to base our 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 knowledge on and the, you know anyone can write any story that they want yeah. you know and then people just get it just repeated um i'm reminded of now you might be able to help me with this because I, I think you definitely have more knowledge of the church and i, I i'm really a, a a, a, a fan rather than an, an expert, but there was a Pope uh, when there was uh, going to this an early Pope, there was going to be a, you know, an election and they're trying to figure out who's okay. going to be the Pope and they can't agree. And then some random guy walks in and then a bird lands on his, salt, uh, on his shoulder and like, okay, he's the Pope. Oh, is that ancient? Or is that, be- oh, wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me access my old comprehensive exam knowledge. Is it is it Fabian? Fabian, yes, yeah. And like you know what, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> but does sure it matter? This... Like, there's it a Roman matter. king who's a king because the bird and eagle stole his hat. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could we could go with that. I mean, that's as legit a way to elect somebody as anything, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, but I'm I'm pretty sure this because because he was a lay person. If I remember correctly, like yeah, I don't he think he had, was in anything. He wasn't. He's just some random guy. I mean, that was that's the history we have to base that on. So it's it's it, it's it's, yeah. a, it's a fun thing. Yeah, what would you even call it? Mythery? Like I don't like yeah. myth and history combined. And the thing is that people don't like to talk about early church stories as myth, but mm-hmm. some of these accounts really have that same ring, depending on how much weight you put on the need for it to be real. So actually there's one more thing I want to bring up before I let you go, which is, so we talked a lot about history being very heteronormative, very, um, very male oriented and also very white and Western. But one thing I really love about church history is that really, when you think about the Roman empire, most people think about Italy and most people think about like, Ooh, Gaul, but this conflict is really, not dominated by Western theologians no. at all. No, it was mostly Eastern theologians, and then some from like uh, Egyptian area. And I think part of part part of why people think of, especially lay people, would think of early Christianity as like you know, it's Italy and Gaul is because those other churches basically broke on. What we have is the Catholic Church that spread into Europe. Um, yes, is what was centered in in there, and the Orthodox Church, the Coptic Church, that was like, oh, who are those guys? I, <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. But when you ignore them, you're really, really missing out mm-hmm. because the creeds that people are saying in church every Sunday right now in the West mm-hmm. are based on the arguments of people from Syria, from from Palestine from Egypt, you know, the most Western person I can think of, there's Hossies of Cordoba, who, you know, came over from Spain. And, you know, I, I think Arius himself may have been from Libya, from North Africa. I believe so, yeah. And so... I mean, the, 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 the Pope didn't even show up. <laughs> no. You know. The, the Roman one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry. The, the, see, the, this, 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 the problem is, right. is yeah, being raised now... Um, I was raised like in a Protestant tradition, but one that was like weirdly reverent of, of Catholic stuff. Um, and um, like, that's what we think of as the Pope, but 
there were other popes poping around. Yeah. You know, but the, the question the, is the Pope Catholic? That is not an obvious answer as you think. <laughs> and I think that there's something really nice about having a game that calls attention to these people that maybe we forget sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, without whom we would not be what we are now for better and for worse. Yeah. Any last comments about this game? Uh, it'll be coming out in November during the holiday sale. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a, a, a fun time. And it's, it's, it's like my big prestige game of the year to do one every year. Um, and this is the first of the big prestige games where I feel like I can have a sense of humor about it. Because previously it was, uh, you know, This Guilty Land, uh, The Vote, uh, Westphalia, which is a six-player only negotiation game, which has, I mean, it has some, a little bit of snark, but it's it's mostly um, trying to take it seriously. And so this is like, this is a lot less stressful than those games were for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think I want to emphasize before we go, like, I'm coming to this with a tremendous sense of affection and love for the subject matter. And that's something that I sense from you as well. Like you can mm-hmm. joke about it cause you love it. Yeah, exactly. So, and uh, so y'all Mabel source of sassy church history. I'm all about it. <laughs> so where can we find you on the internet? Uh, on the internet? I, I mostly hang out on Twitter. Uh, my ad is Amabel Holland, A M A B E L H O L L A N D. Uh, and then Mary runs the Hollandspiel account is H-O-L-L-A-N-D-S-P-I-E-L-E. And where you find out more about our, our company and such. And that's pretty much where we hang out on, on the, you know, Hollandspiel.com. You can, you can buy games from us. We will sell them to you. Uh. <laughs> Which I can personally recommend you do in several of my recommendations. All right. So I can be found anywhere on the internet as Beyond Solitaire. Uh, Mabel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Happy gaming, everybody.